Hello and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, the podcast that talks about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. This is episode number 76, and I have been dying to talk about some Pink Floyd. So this week's show is going to revolve around the Pink Floyd album, Animals. I love Animals, one of my favorite Pink Floyd albums, and I enlisted the help of someone else who enjoys not only Animals as an album, but Pink Floyd as a band. My friend Joel Craig, a former internet DJ from the show Interstellar Overdrive, so there's a connection there, obviously. And Joel is a big proponent of Pink Floyd's music and the bands that Pink Floyd influenced and that play sort of in that style. You know, bands like RPWL, bands like Airbag, Joel is a good friend of mine. He knows a lot about Pink Floyd, and I couldn't wait to talk about Pink Floyd, so I got Joel to help, and I can't wait to bring you this episode. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that you can follow Michael's Record Collection on social media. It is at Mike's Records on Twitter and at Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Please visit michaelsrecordcollection.com. And there are links there to everything, my social media channels. You can also sign up for my free Michael's Record Collection newsletter. And it comes to your mailbox every week. And uh, go to my Patreon, check out the different levels of support. And for as little as $2 a month, you can support independent podcasting and newsletter writing. You can always email me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com just to say hello or to ask a question. Love to hear from you. With all that out of the way, let's get to my discussion with Joel Craig about Pink Floyd's Animals, which turned 45 years old this year. Here we go. Hello again, everybody. Time for another episode of Michael's Record Collection, and I am joined by Joel Craig today, the former host of the very popular internet radio show called Interstellar Overdrive to talk a little Pink Floyd. Joel, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's good to see you. It's been it's been a long time. It's been, been a long time. It's been ages, just literally been. ages. But uh, yeah, it's good to see you. And I figured if if I'm going to talk about some Pink Floyd, and you know Roger and Dave aren't getting on the call, no, <laughs> you're the guy I want to talk to. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. So your show was on the dividing line when uh, when I started at the dividing line. We started right, pretty much right around the same time. I think you might have been a little before me, and then we both moved to progrock.com. Both of our shows moved there. We did yeah. But uh, what was the what was the impetus for you starting that show originally? Um, I was I was I mean I grew up a Floyd fan, so um my musical um, interests and likes always tended toward the more, um, oh, how shall we say, David Gilmore influenced guitar playing and just more more melodic. I, I was, you know, I, I, I like Genesis, but they weren't really my, my favorite. I, I was a bit of a yes fan, but um, my mom always yelled at me when she heard John Anderson singing, so I always <laughs> had to turn that down. But for some reason, she tolerated the Pink Floyd, so I got I got away with um, listening to uh, Floyd at, at very um, unhealthy volumes um, while I was still living at home. So, um, I just they were just always one of my favorites. So I, it's funny. I, I was um, 
reading some news yesterday or two days ago when it was the 20 some anniversary of the original iMac. And my first computer was the upgraded version of the original iMac. So I had the gray one with the, uh, with the 128 megabytes of Ram and, and whatnot. <laughs> but one of the first things that I did was you had real player back then. And yeah. there was, it was kind of the infancy of streaming audio and stuff. And I was, I'm like, I want to hear some prog rock. I want to see what's out there, you know? So I started discovering all these bands through, this Dutch internet radio station that I was listening to on real player. Like, you know, if you could get through the buffering every few seconds, you could hear some good music. So I, I was listening to that and then progrock.com was out there from like 99 or so. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the stations I gravitated to and was discovering all these new bands. And I always tend to gravitate toward the ones that were more influenced by, um, Pink Floyd, bands like RPWL, um, mm-hmm. early Porcupine Tree, you know, that kind of thing. So why I started the radio show, I got hurt in a construction accident and I wasn't working anymore and I was bored. And so <laughs> I started listening to shows and, and one of them, uh, one of the stations was a dividing line and that was a very interactive platform, had the chat room going, made some online friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, I thought, I can do this, you know? <laughs> and so I sent in a, uh, like a demo and, and Sean was like, Hey, you're actually pretty good at this. Um, so started doing a show. You came along right around then, uh, Mark and Raina who run progrock.com now, um, who live really close to me, actually. Um, they were there in the early days and we kind of formed a neat little community around doing these silly little radio shows and then you know it was the not only the infancy of of streaming but then podcasting started and we were doing podcasts before they even had a name for it so yeah um, Yeah. and that kind of grew you know i mean we had people listening all over the world made friends got together at music festivals all that kind of thing so that was kind of how it started Mm -hmm. um i did it for five years and i just kind of got a little burned out on it. You know, there's a couple, couple incidents, which we don't really need to go into here, yeah. but I just kind of, it was time. It was time mm-hmm. to let it go. But you know, it's funny. I, I still hear from people, you know, I mean, that was 2008 when I quit doing it. I still hear from people. When are you going to do the show again? When are you going to do the <laughs> show again? And I'm like, Oh man, I'm 60 years old now. I just turned 60 a couple months ago. Like, I don't know if I had the energy <laughs> to do it, but I, you know, I still listen to stuff online and, and still, still discovering new bands, you know, here and there. Airbag is one that I really love and love them. And Bjorn Reese's solo album is fantastic. And he does the, he does the, uh, what's the, the Gilmore related, um, website that he runs or a blog, um, Gilmore ish or I, I don't remember what it's called, but so there's still bands that are out there that, that interest me and, and so, yeah, yeah. Mark mm-hmm. and Raina do, uh, ask me to come back periodically as well. Um, they're still, still going strong at prog yeah, It's been 20 years almost. I think that they've been doing their show. That's, that's yeah. crazy. It is I, like the dividing line is long gone. Um, long gone. RIP. Yeah. yeah. 
I think Delicious Agony is still around. They're still out there. I, I've got them bookmarked on one of my. Yeah. Actually, they're on my my TuneIn app, and when I'm in the car, um, if I'm looking for something to listen to, I'll come across DA or I'll come across um, Morrow is one that I listen to a lot um, from France. They mm-hmm. they do a really good job. Um, there's another one too that that is from way back in the old days. I'm like, God, I still got that book, and it still works. That's crazy. So, yeah, I, I did my show for ten years, and I I, I <clears throat> agree with you. There were there comes a time where you just get a little little burnout. You need to step away. And when I did yeah. step away, I wasn't sure if it was going to be permanent. I thought it might be, but I thought it might just be maybe I just need to recharge my batteries. Also, I was finding so many bands that I was spending so much money on music. It was just well, that's the other thing too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Everybody because thinks that you we get were, that mean, you get it yeah, for free, we were, but you don't get it for we free. Were supporting, we were supporting <laughs> these guys. And yeah. there were some that would send you stuff, but yeah. you know, a lot of times it was like, you know, you you know, especially with piracy and all that, you wanted to spend your money yeah. on their music to to help support them and and let them survive. So but yeah, it gets expensive, especially when you're on a, a disability pension and <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to live and, and yeah. all that. But trying to go to yeah. shows and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. you gotta yeah. you gotta balance it out. But it was it was fun while it lasted. I had a good time doing doing And now you're work. doing this, which is still kinda doing related this. in a yeah. way. You're not not necessarily playing the music, but you're still and it's funny, you t- you talk to people and it's like these are contacts that we created you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, yeah. and some of them are still out there and you can reach out to them and they're more than happy to, to come and talk to you. So that's great. You're doing a great job with this well, thing. By the way, I, I, I must say. have, yeah. I must have 300 Facebook friends that are just from that period. Uh, just from the show. Oh, just from absolutely. Show. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the reason I asked you on was obviously to talk Pink Floyd and yeah, what is your Pink Floyd origin story? Where, when did you become aware of Pink Floyd? What was your introduction? It's funny. I was actually thinking about this when I was in little league, (laughs) (laughs) when I was in little league back in 1973, I guess I, that was when dark side of the moon came out. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, you know, we, everybody's listening to their transistor radios and money is on the air all the time. And my friend's dad was like the commissioner of Little League. And so um, besides playing, we also started umpiring. So you've got these, you know, 11 and 12 year old kids that are umpiring girls softball games and keeping score and all that kind of thing. And I can remember my friend Kathy's dad saying, who in the hell is Pink Floyd or what in the hell is a Pink Floyd or something like that. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, that memory has stuck in my head since 1973. So I think that's probably (laughs) my Pink Floyd origin story, which is something you would never expect to be related to baseball in a way, but, but that's (laughs) kind of where it all started. And then, you know, I grew up in a really musical family. People that know me know a little bit about, you know, my, one of my famous relatives and growing up with, um, big band and jazz. You can name drop Joel. You can name drop. Okay. So my cousin, (laughs) my first cousin is is Jimmy Chamberlain. Who's the drummer for, um, smashing pumpkins. His dad was a clarinet player. So we, we'd have these big family gatherings and it would be my uncle Bob on the clarinet, my uncle Chuck playing guitar. A lot of my cousins were drummers and guitar players. So we grew up with all this eclectic, variety of music and i think that kind of fed into what i grew up listening to you know i loved 
you know, simple, good pop songs, Badfinger, you know, one of my all time favorite bands, but I still tend to gravitate toward a little bit more, um, complex music. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that's from my upbringing. Uh What was your favorite, what was your first Pink Floyd record that you bought? With my own money? Yeah, or the first one maybe that's you got for probably birthday or interesting because I I know I had um, I had money on forty five. I mean, we all did. I just told somebody this the other day. The very first record I bought with money that I actually earned was The Grand Illusion by Styx. Um, But I think, you know, Animals came out right around that time. And I had Animals on 8-track was my initial, you know, exposure to it. So, you know, for those of you who don't know about the 8-track version, that had parts one and two of Pigs on the Wing put together with a uh, snowy white guitar solo in the middle of it. And that was, that was my introduction to the animals album. So that would have been, that would have been right around the time I I was working 15, 16 years old Mm -hmm. and then started buying albums or eight tracks. We were buying eight tracks back then because we had eight track players in our cars Um, and then started working backwards. So, you know, wish you were here, dark side uh, metal, and the interesting thing about the metal eight track was that they had part two of echoes before part one. <laughs> so I didn't realize until I saw uh, the live at Pompeii movie at the, at the midnight movie that echoes, so I was listening to echoes <laughs> in the wrong order. Like, wait a minute, the, the, the seagulls are in the middle. Eight tracks were weird, man. <laughs> oh, eight tracks were very God. strange. Do you still have yeah. those eight tracks? I, you know what? I do still have some of them in this case that's at my parents' house. Um, I had a player for a long time and then something happened to it and I tried to fix it and I broke it worse. And then I just never got another one, but I do still have some of those eight tracks. And actually one of them is, it was a blank tape that I recorded, um, an interview with Jim Ladd and Roger Waters talking about the wall when it first came out. Okay. And I, so I recorded that and I still have that tape somewhere. Um, it's on YouTube now. I found, actually found it on YouTube, but, um, it was, uh, Roger doing a track by track, um, explanation of what, of what the wall meant in 1979. Oh. So, but yeah, I still have some of those tapes. Very yeah. cool. I yeah. I can remember when someone showed me the trick about putting a piece of tape over the little tab and you could record over an eight track. And I, mm-hmm. my parents mm-hmm. never listened to their eight tracks. So I took a bunch of them and recorded yeah. songs off them. Mostly when we got MTV because my, my little Sears stereo had an eight track uh, player on it. And mm-hmm. I put, I put a cable coax, a coax cable against the back of my stereo and I could get MTV on my stereo. 
there you go. So I would just mm-hmm. stick a tape in and and hit record and just record a whole eight track of nothing but you know music that was being played yeah. on TV. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, yeah. mom and dad, but uh, you know you had kids. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> but we're here to talk about animals. We're here to talk about talk animals. About- yeah, right I got there. it. Right you got there. it back there. Yeah, uh, it's hiding some stuff on my table, but yeah, that's okay. So they have it. Uh, have the have this part of it right here. So, right. so you got the um, lyrics handy. Got the lyrics handy. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk about this because it's uh, 45 years old, and it's coming out with a, a remix that was supposed to come out in 2018, uh, but it will be um, it will be coming out soon. There was some some problems some disputes over the liner notes that uh, you know roger waters has come out and said that you know he didn't want liner notes because dave david gilmore was saying some things that he did that he didn't do and you know i hate when mom and dad fight yeah but, um, i know you know and it, it's it's delayed the the release but um and, and roger i love roger i think he's <laughs> one of the most brilliant lyricists ever but man we know you were the guy. You don't have to continually tell us you were the guy. And frankly, the fact that he felt he was the guy kind of led to everything that, that happened afterwards. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. at some point, you just got to let it go. But yeah, Roger commissioned, um, I think his name is Mark Blake. He writes for various magazines. I think he writes for Prague uh, Magazine as well. Commissioned him to do liner notes for the album which basically say, you know, that Roger did everything. <laughs> and David was like, uh, nah, we're not going to do that. And, and frankly, we've never included liner notes with any of our releases. So mm-hmm. we're not going to do it. Roger, you know, stomped his foot for a while. And they finally came to some sort of an agreement. So yeah, yeah the 2008 remix is now coming out in 2022. Yeah. 45th anniversary of the album. And as meaningful these days as it was when it came out in 77, Absolutely. You know, maybe the circumstances have changed a little bit. The, the main characters have changed a little bit, but man, the message is just as relevant and maybe even more so yeah. as it was back then. Yeah. I'm yeah. looking forward to the 5.1 surround uh, of this album. Yeah, me it's too. Great. But yeah, yeah, I'm probably not going to go with the box set. Yeah, I'm, but I'm definitely going to get the Blu-ray because yeah. I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear the five-one mix for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, Animals came out. Depending on where you get your information from, either January 21st or 23rd of 1977 mm-hmm. on uh, Harvest in the UK, which is an EMI uh, affiliate, mm-hmm. and Columbia in the US, and yep. the 10th studio album. Uh, it was recorded in a church hall at Britannia Row in London that the band had bought and turned into a studio. Yes. Pink yes. Floyd produced this themselves. And it was sandwiched between Wish You Were Here and The Wall, which kind of, it, it means that Animals gets a little bit overshadowed by those records. And especially when you come from uh, Dark Side of the Moon to Wish You Were Here to Animals, it's going to take... Um, a, a lot to get noticed after those two albums. And it wasn't an immediate, it, it wasn't an, it's not an album that immediately hits you. This is a grower of an album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you, and I know it, the, it was released in between 
you know, wish you were here and, and the wall, but actually it was born at about the same time as shine on you crazy diamond. You know, right. they, they finished the, the dark side tour. They get back in the studio. They have nothing, you know, they start playing around with wine glasses and rubber bands and stuff and <laughs> trying to get some inspiration from that. And then into 74, they start putting these songs together and the three that they actually played live on this uh, miniature French tour in the middle of 74 was Shine On You Crazy Diamond, which um, when you go back and listen to that, you can you can hear it on the um, expanded uh, release of uh, Wish You Were Here that came out a couple years ago. That is very similar to how that ended up on release. But then you have these two other songs, Raving and Drooling, which would become Sheep, and then um, you got to be crazy, which which was dogs, and right. so those are all born at the same time, and then the two songs get shelved because Roger has this idea of this concept around absence and stuff, and so "Wish You Were Here" comes together. Mm-hmm. They tour that album, they come back, and they're like all right, we've got all this stuff. And, and it's funny. I, I was reading, I, I had this a long time ago. This is Nick Mason's book. Yeah. Um, Inside out. It's fabulous. It's a fabulous read. And I went back to read um, the part about when they actually recorded album, um, animals. Mm-hmm. And there's actually very little information about the recording of animals because it came together very quickly. You know, mm-hmm. the songs, half the songs were already put together you know, Roger comes up with the the concept around um, animal farm, um, divides humanity humanity into these three groups, mm-hmm. and rather than this anti-Soviet thing, which the original uh, story was about um, of animal farm, it's this big rant about capitalism and growing Thatcherism in England, and you know, the rich getting richer, the poor. Mm-hmm just getting trampled on and yep. um so that's that that's how it all came together but uh absolutely yeah. mm-hmm. and part of the reason that it came together quickly is roger did so much of the work richard wright was going through a divorce uh, david gilmore had just had his first child so they weren't around as much yeah so, and but you know i have to wonder about the narrative about that because roger likes to say you know these guys weren't contributing you know, I had to do all the heavy lifting, but then within a year of, of animals release, David's got a solo album. (laughs) Richard's got a solo album. Mm -hmm. So they obviously had been writing. They obviously had material. It's just Roger was, was taking over. Yeah. And I I actually read an interview uh, preparing for the show tonight. I was reading some old interviews and stuff and, you know, Roger, Roger said, you know, I, I, I felt it was important to sing my own songs. You know, I had the ideas, I, I wrote all the lyrics, I, you know, did all this stuff. And, and so he was, you know, at that point, he was really kind of taking over things yeah. and the other guys were feeling left out. So they're like, mm-hmm. definitely you know. led to some tension in the band going yeah. forward. And, yeah. and I, and I read a quote from Roger, where he said, what am I going to wait for lyrics from Rick and, and Dave? They're not going to write better lyrics than me. <laughs> no. And, and David Gilmore would be the first one to admit it too. Yeah. And Dave um, takes a long time to write lyrics. Mm-hmm. 
yeah or, or songs in general um right. and rick said that it was the it he said it was the period when roger really began to believe he was the sole writer of the band mm-hmm. and rick said it was partly my fault because i didn't have much to offer dave who did have something to offer only managed to get a he said a couple of songs on there but it was only yeah one dave said that he didn't feel like he was being squeezed out at that time no um and he he also mentioned about Roger's ly- Roger's lyrics that he didn't disagree with anything he was writing. You know, he didn't he didn't offer a different right. He kind of felt the same way as Roger did. Mm-hmm. He wished he could express it, you know, lyrically and verbally as well as Roger did. But he knew that he that wasn't part of of his talent. Dave smoke spoke through his guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, Sure. But the thing, you know, the thing about, you know, that's the first album that, that Richard Wright didn't have a, um, a writing credit on. Frankly, he should have. Yeah. Because he composed that whole opening to Sheep when all the tension was going on. He was going in the studio at night by himself. And he composed that whole Fender Rhodes intro to Sheep mm-hmm. with nobody else in the studio. And yet, Roger didn't give him writing credit. That's and in when my you notes. listen, <laughs> I know. And when you listen to raving and drooling, and how that morphed into sheep, it's it's. I mean, raving and drooling, drooling is basically just it's just this continual bass riff that kind of runs through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Rick's keyboards on that just really makes the whole song, and it's a shame he never got a writing credit for it because he really mm-hmm. should have. Of course, it's got the iconic album cover, um, which was Roger's idea, too. Uh, Storm yeah. Georgerson uh, brought his concept to life uh, with the pig flying over Battersea uh, Power Station. You'll notice that I've got my Australian Pink Floyd shirt. There show you go. On, yeah. um, uh, it's got the kangaroo over Battersea Power Station, which is cool. Just amazing. Great story, obviously, that the pig escaped and uh, landed <laughs> in a farmer's field. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that they had sharpshooters on hand to, they uh, to did. yeah, they were, re- they were ready and yet it still, still got away. And so. in the end they used preliminary shots that they took cook of the power station and they, they flew the pig in, which is yeah. really what they wanted to do in the first pre pre Photoshop even, <laughs> you know, that's, that's when you had to, you know, cut those negatives and yeah. put all that stuff together. I'm so amazed but, uh, by album art that came out. I know pre computer age. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's funny. My daughter, my 12 year old daughter is getting into vinyl now. And I mean, you know, growing up, part of the whole experience of listening to an album was putting on on the turd table, turning it on, 
sitting there with, with the album cover and reading the liner notes. And she, one of the first albums she got, I'm like, and, you know, I give it to, and she, I got a picture of her. She's sitting on the couch with her face buried in the liner notes. I'm like, she gets it. Yeah. I'm winning at parenting. <laughs> You're doing yeah. it right. You're doing, it, doing right. it right. This, yeah. this album went to number two in the UK and number three in the United States. It's, for me, it's the ultimate grower Pink Floyd album. People didn't know what to make of it on first listen. It, it's very much denser than the previous two records. Yeah, uh, it's a totally different sound. It's yeah. it's angry. It's um, it's it's. It, I, I saw it referred to as Punk Floyd, and yeah, you know, I've it seen comes that. Yeah. Seventy seven. <laughs> you know, the punk rock is taking over. You know, they're tired of these dinosaur bands, and yet Pink Floyd rocks on this one. They mm-hmm. really do. I mean, it's it's a rocker. Um, it's not uh, your ambient uh, stoner album like the previous, you know, two or three or Adam Hart Mother was kind of out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this this was this was some foot tapping, playing drums on the dashboard kind of mm-hmm. list. Listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And angry. It very was, Roger. Angry Roger. Angry Roger. Very. Yeah. He's starting to turn toward political themes, which he would only magnify as his career went on. He is, um, he brought in pigs on the wing parts one and two, uh, because this was such a dark, angry album. It needed some kind of hope and light to it. So a little hoping. Yeah. Yeah. So he, so he writes a love song. He writes a love song. He writes a love song for his his girl at the time. and, And he splits it up into the beginning song and the ending song. It was just a couple verses, him on the acoustic guitar. And, it's another bone of contention because now he gets more writing credits on the record because they split the up, split it in half. Yeah. Because the royalties are divided by the number of writing credits. So mm-hmm. you've got this one song that now becomes two songs. And um, yeah, the ironic thing about that song though, you know, that you get this whole album that's like this anti-capitalist rant, you know, and about English society and all this stuff. And yet, what does Roger do? He divorces his high school sweetheart and he marries into the British aristocracy yeah. <laughs> with his second wife, Carolyn, who the whole pigs on the wing is written about, but uh, who he little, met while she little was bit married, <laughs> married to the grateful dead's manager. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Um, so yeah, so we, we've got the lineup, obviously it's David Gilmore on lead vocals for dogs, partly on lead vocals for dogs, lead guitar on the, uh, the three, uh, animals in the middle, you know, dogs, sheep and pigs, three different Mm -hmm. ones. He plays bass on pigs, three different ones and sheep. That's something that a lot of people don't know. And, um, I was again. I was reading some interviews with David about uh, that were done in like the early '90s. Um, would have been between between momentary lapse and and the division, division bell. bell. He was mm-hmm. getting um, interviewed, and the interviewer was asking him about you know Roger's bass playing. Was Roger a good bass player? And David was like, oh, "No, <laughs> he's <laughs> really not." As a matter of fact. You know, I played the majority of bass on all on on all the albums because mm-hmm. it was it was faster recording. Um, Roger just 
he said Roger just never showed an interest in in becoming a better bass player. So, uh, in fact, he made a crack about um, you know when Roger would win some readers' poll about you know best bass player, Roger would say uh, thanks, Dave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's something a lot of people don't know is that mm-hmm. Roger actually did not play bass on a lot of the uh, recorded output yeah. um, from the band. Yeah. Dave also uh, did the talk box on pigs, three different ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Roger, Roger did all the lead vocals except for a small part of dogs. He mm-hmm. did uh, backing vocals, acoustic guitar and pigs on the wing parts one and two rhythm guitar on uh, sheep, three different or pigs, three different ones and sheep mm-hmm. uh, played. He did play bass on dogs. Uh, he did tape effects. Yes. Uh, and vocorder. Mm-hmm. Nick Mason drums, percussion, tape effects. Uh, there was no no yeah. drums on the the pigs on the wing uh, parts one mm-hmm. and two. Uh, and Richard Wright, uh, Hammond organ, ARP string synthesizer, Fender Rhodes, Mini Moog, uh, Farfisa organ, piano, clavinet, EMS, VCS three, and harmony vocals. Yeah. So basically, Richard played yeah. every keyboard he had. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when you go when you go back to listen to um, you got to be crazy. First of all, I, I was playing it for my daughter today. She loves dogs. Dogs is probably my favorite Pink Floyd song. I, I flip flop between that and Echoes, but Dogs is it's always my go to when I want to listen to some Pink Floyd. I throw on Side One of Animals, and that's my go to. But um, I forgot what my point was about all of that. <laughs> but um, oh, about you got to be crazy. Lyrically, it's it's different. It was very, very wordy when it started out. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave was like, I don't know how he could catch his breath saying all the lines. So they cut out like 80% of the lyrics. But as far as David and Roger sharing vocals, um, they did in the early version as well. And then Rick adds um, harmony during during the outro um, mm-hmm. part. So that's, that's very similar. But... Um, the the original version you got to be crazy the end is more kind of a call and answer you mm-hmm. know who was born in a house full of pain born in a uh, which i guess it still <laughs> is on the, but more more pronounced the the background were more um up front and you can hear dave and, and richard um singing more together yeah. but yeah it sucks that he didn't get that uh writing credit for his fender Rhodes playing on sheet because yeah. It makes the whole song. It really does. Yeah. yeah. So Pigs on the Wing Part 1, I imagine, was a very interesting song for for Pink Floyd fans that had just come off of Wish You Were Here and mm-hmm. Dark Side of the Moon to hear this little acoustic ditty that's a minute and a half long. I must have been going, yeah. like, what has gone wrong with what Pink Floyd? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. What happened to me? And I didn't care For you Zigzag away through the bottom of pain. 
occasionally glancing up through the rain Wondering which of the brothers to blame And watching for pigs on the wing yeah. But then you get then, a, then you get a seventeen the minute epic right after seventeen absolutely. minutes. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, and a great song lyrically. It's a great song, you know, to put it into the whole um, animal farm theme. You know, the dogs are kind of the enforcers; they're they're, mm-hmm. they're the enablers of the pigs, and there's there's some really biting uh, lyrics in there from For Roger. Sure. It's yeah. yeah. Epic centerpiece of the album about mm-hmm. society's predators. Uh, Gilmore, yep. Gilmore gets a, a writing credit here along with Waters, his only mm-hmm. lead vocal on the album, but they both sing on this song. And yep. it, you know, of course, when it was "You've Got to Be Crazy," it had been previously performed live. There's there's some great bootlegs out there with it uh, mm-hmm. that you can find. Oh yeah, I had one on vinyl back <laughs> back in the day. I mean, you were able to to find quite a bit of them and sound and good sounding ones too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, and then "Wish You Were Here" comes out, and it's like, oh, what happened to these other songs? Well, then we got to wait two more years to to hear them. They let them ferment and grow and 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 together, which is how they did things back in that yeah. in the day, though. I mean, even Dark Side, they were playing for a year uh, before they even recorded it. So that was kind of their mo back then was to write new material, go out and perform it, knock it into shape. And then and then come back and and record it. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting when you you listen to this album and you can hear when the seeds of this were born because there's, I mean, Richard's uh, synth work harkens back to "Wish You Were Here" in this song, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and of course it's got some iconic Gilmore guitar work with his double lead lines. It's really some of his best guitar work. I mean, it, it probably doesn't get all the attention that it deserves. I mean, when you've got Comfortably Numb and, and all this other stuff that he did, it's very easy to overlook dogs. But, man, he's on fire in that song. He you really sure is. is. It's just really, really good guitar work in there. And dogs barking through vocorders on this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think he plays his telly on, on a lot of that. He's not playing the Strat on some of that. I think a lot of that's from his Telecaster, okay. which is a little bit of a different sound. But, uh, yeah, it kind of fits in with the, the mood of the song, though, too. A little more biting guitar mm-hmm. instead of the more melodic, um, you know, psychedelic stuff that we're used to from the Strat. Yeah, his his double lead line there, that... that... 
Yeah, that is which um, which was you know doubled by Snowy White when yeah. they when they played it live. very angular sounding for david gilmore um mm-hmm. this this whole album too i think is it's angry and it's dark i think it's not just about uh capitalism and the repressive english government and um people like mary whitehouse and that kind of thing it's also <laughs> i think it's also a statement about punk rock and the punk rock movement because you know, they were kind of a favorite punching bag of the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. who had just come out with mm-hmm. their album the previous November. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, you know what? There's there's something to this anger that's good, but we're going to just do it our way. And and that's where the Punk Floyd comes in. It's like they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. exploring darker themes. They're exploring political themes. It's angry. And yet they're still, I mean, all three of the, the main songs on this are all well beyond uh radio friendly time for you know time uh right amount of time you know <laughs> yeah the, the, no singles from that's right from, from you can't play it on the radio <laughs> the I, I was thinking about this um a couple days ago too the whole punk floyd aspect of it you know punk rock you know four chords and the truth and when you listen to dogs dogs is really just this four chord chord progression that kind of repeats through the whole song so in a way, dogs is also four chords in the truth. Yeah. You know, outside of that middle part, it's just this this four four chord chord progression that kind of repeats through the whole song. Mm. Um, very very punk. Yeah, really. When you think about it, you know. And the the production is masterful on this too, because uh, you've yeah. got that that cool the line uh, you know dragged down by the stone that gets repeated and repeated and looped and mm-hmm. looped. And then it kind of dissolves into this this animalistic sound at the end of it.
just yeah the organ the yeah. organ kicks in you know and uh, um, you know it's funny I'm I'm working at a at a jazz club in Chicago now I work the door on Friday nights and they actually have two Hammond B3s in this jazz club they have one up behind the bar that this guy plays a couple mm-hmm. nights a week and they got another one on stage it's just part of the equipment that they have there. And this one guy that plays it, man, uh, the sounds that can come out of that B3, um, it's, it's, it's quite shocking sometimes, you know? <laughs> and so it fits, it fits in right, right with that, that ending part of, of dogs. Yeah. So side two kicks off with pigs, three different ones and mm-hmm. some really cool little intricate bass parts early in this song by Dave. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and after, you know, right after the sampled pig noise uh, over Richard's sort of uh, twilight zone-ish keyboard riff that and I think, I think mostly when I listen to Pink Floyd, I, I prefer David's vocals. I don't know that I would call Roger a great vocalist. He's a serviceable no. vocalist. He's very, got a very distinctive voice. He's great for sarcasm and and bitter lyrics. Mm-hmm. Fits his voice mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. But my favorite singing on this album is Roger on Pig's three different ones. he's just spitting the lyrics out yeah you know it's just with such venom and disdain um for the the subject of his ire (laughs) you know he's he's he he is it's the he's the perfect vocalist for that song absolutely haha charade you are Mm -hmm. and uh 
you're nearly a laugh, but you're really a cry. It's just fantastic. I mean, he's it really is. And when you see some of the more recent performances of that and how he's kind of reinterpreted that whole song, it became this huge anti-Trump rant um, with all the video and everything. And actually, my favorite um, video that I've seen um, was him performing in front of like 300,000 people in Mexico City back in like 2016 or something like that. And again, it's the beginning of, of Trump and, um, and to hear him kind of aim his, his ire toward what's happening in this country and, and the cult of personality that's Donald Trump Mm -hmm. and um, to interpret that song, you know, to him was, was very, very, Prescient, I guess, is kind of the word yeah. I'm thinking of, or maybe something else. But yeah, it, it hit its mark. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, if you're planning to see Roger on his This Is Not A Drill Tour, don't think he's going to leave politics at home. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a myth, I guess, that Roger became political during Animals or that in recent years. Because when you go back and listen to even some of the lyrics in Us and Them or... You can go back to Saucer Full of Secrets and, and Corporal Clegg from, from Saucer Full of Secrets. Yeah. This is very anti-war message always that, been he's, anti-war. that he's putting out there. Yeah. Um, always been anti-war. Yeah. Um, his father was killed in World War II when he was four months old. His dad, both his mom and dad were teachers, but um, his dad was a member of the Communist Party. He, um, you know, so he grew up with very extreme left-wing um political leanings Mm -hmm. um as it is so i mean to think that you know he's all all of a sudden political he roger was always always political you just had to had to had to listen you just had to listen yeah you know yeah Mm -hmm. he started to bring it out more and more often though i think from this point on with animals, yeah, 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 it was more in your face. Definitely, it, yeah. More in your face. He, he got his, yeah. he got his hands. He really sunk his teeth into the animal farm uh, mm-hmm. imagery, and um, and then when it was accepted and it did well, he's like, "Hey, like now I can now I got carte blanche. I can <laughs> I can mm-hmm. do all this stuff all the time." And yeah, you're right. He's always been vehemently anti-war. I mean, understandable given you know his upbringing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically living his whole life without a father. And that that obviously sunk into his lyrics for the wall as well. And, mm-hmm. the, whole, and the whole story of that, uh, you know, concept album. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's he is who he is. But you're you're uh, my point is, you're if you go see his show, <laughs> he's not leaving those politics at home. It's going to be on no. the, it's going to be on the screen. No. It's going to be in the yeah. things he says and in the in the songs themselves. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's actually performing sheep on this tour, which he hadn't done uh, before. So there's there's some good messaging um, at the beginning of that song as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's good to hear he's actually not playing bass on sheep, in case <laughs> anybody was wondering. Yeah, he's out there. He's out there. He's just in Chicago like a week ago. Yeah, I am not yeah. surprised that he's playing sheep because I don't think there's been a time in this country in this country where sheep has been more applicable in so many ways. So, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, when, when we talked about doing this, I I was on vacation a couple weeks ago. I actually bought another copy of animal farm to read while I was gone because I hadn't read it. 
um, in, you know, since I was in grade school, probably. So I actually read, reread Animal Farm while I was on vacation. I'm like, yeah, these sheep and how the pigs, you know, and again, it starts off with this whole Soviet message, but mm -hmm. um, how the pigs um, try to lure you into, oh, we're all in this together. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're all equal. We're all, and then as time goes on, you know, they, they train the dogs to be their enforcers. And yet the sheep are always there to repeat the message, you mm -hmm. know, two, you know, four legs, good, two legs, bad, yeah. four legs, good, two legs, bad. And then at the end, the, the pigs are walking upright and it's four legs, good, two legs are better. Yeah. It's funny. Cause my, my daughter just uh, had that in school last year. And so I, I actually basically reread re the whole thing uh, to, to give her, you know, some advice on, on her writing her paper and that kind of thing. And I was like, wow, mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't read this in forever. And in fact, it's funny because I think I just Googled it and some, there was a PDF of it online. I just read it online. Yeah. Been like, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. It's yeah. It's really and to think that he wrote, he wrote animal farm in 1984 within like just a couple of years of each other. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God, it's all, it's all coming true. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. yeah so pigs three different ones and sheep as i mentioned both of them are over 10 minutes long sheep previously known as raving and drooling and, raving and performed drooling. Yeah. prior to the album and and mm -hmm. richard you mentioned it i've got it in my notes he opens the song with an electrical an electric piano part over the sound of the chirping it's bird. fabulous i mean it's just some of his best keyboard work yeah. just so creative and like I said, it, it really makes that whole song. It just really gives it a whole nother dimension from where it started. Mm. And to think that Roger didn't appreciate that enough to, to give him a writing credit, you know, and it's a shame because that kind of, that's kind of really, and they had issues during Wish You Were Here too, but that's really kind of the beginning of the end of the band. Yeah. And Roger just, just, decimating the cons the confidence of of Richard and Nick as well because yeah. they're you know Nick didn't play all the drums on the wall either you know Roger mm -hmm. was bringing people in and just destroyed their confidence and um I was reading another another interview with David um, about you know doing a momentary lapse of reason and he's like yeah he's like you know Richard didn't think he could play anymore and Nick didn't think he could play anymore and I had to build these guys back up again Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the album, he brought in other people for momentary laps, uh, brought in other people. But when they yeah. went on the road and toured and were playing it live, the, they realized that they could still do it. And yeah. you hear it in what came next. But, yeah, it's a shame that Roger's ego or whatever just got in the way and just really tore these guys down and yeah. made them think that they weren't contributing or didn't have anything to give. and. And that intro to sheep is a grand example of what Richard brought to the table. Yeah. I went, um, my first time seeing the band was that momentary lapse tour. And we could tell you that, uh, I got to show you something. Nick did it. <laughs> Look at that. I have that. I actually still tour, have that. That's the tour program. Fact, I wonder if I have lapse. that. I actually, um, uh, so, and actually, so look at this. Got my, 
my tickets <laughs> my tickets are in there oh too. your tickets so, are in there that's yeah, great i got my ticket stubs in there yeah so uh, i have my tickets but it's not in here it's not in too, here yeah 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 that was that was a great show look at dave with show, hair look at, let's say dave, dave with, with hair, hair. Yeah, yeah it's great yeah yeah <laughs> Yep. That's cool. It's weird that I just happened to have that. Uh, I actually didn't <laughs> think about that. It just happened to be in this like bookcase over here. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I didn't see any trouble uh, that Nick had on that tour. And and I I talk, I had Carmine a piece on the show, and he he talked about you know being flown in to to play on Dogs of War because Nick was just kind of getting his his groove back, and he wasn't ready, mm-hmm. to, and they wanted somebody that was a little bit harder hitter for that particular song. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty cool. But um, I always wonder, you know, because what these guys do in the studio, like most of the guys who get credit for writing songs, if they're not the drummer, they didn't write the drum parts. You mean like Roger didn't write the drum? I, parts? No, I mean, I mean, most or, bands like most bands where like the lead singer or the lead guitarist or whoever writes the song, they get song credit. Mm-hmm. They, they're yeah. not drummers. They didn't write the drum parts. Mostly. Right. You know, it, there are exceptions. Yeah. But um, Richard yeah. writes clearly writes that intro and doesn't get a mm-hmm. writing credit. I mean, how you know what are we supposed to think that that Roger came up with that because he there's no <laughs> way. <laughs> there, uh, somebody they uh, an interviewer asked David Gilmore if uh, it kind of jokingly if Roger played the fretless bass on Hey You, <laughs> and uh, Dave was like, really? It's <laughs> 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 kind of his response. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and and again, it it it's a shame that they weren't more collaborative at that point, and and Roger wasn't more uh, generous in recognizing what the other guys brought to the table, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And it goes to his ego that you know he was the guy. And again, I I love Roger. I Pink Floyd, you know, wouldn't have been what they were without him. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say. Uh, the Division Bell is probably one of my favorite Floyd albums, and I know a lot of people like to talk about Polly, but Polly is a heck of a writer. And if anybody knows what's in David's head, you know it's probably his wife. And yeah. and I love I love that album. I do too. But, but yeah, I mean earlier stuff. I mean Roger <laughs> was the the visionary, you know. Yeah. Um, but they wouldn't have been what they were without the other three guys. So yeah. it's a shame he maybe didn't recognize it at the time. Yeah. And, and, and let egos get in the way of, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to like for somebody that, you know, was the, the son of the communist and has always felt uncomfortable with his wealth. And uh, supposedly to not let Richard have that writing credit is just seems yeah, it's, very it's, petty. It's, it's petty. It is petty. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Lyrically, this is brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. sheep, Absolutely. It, the, the sheep rise up and kill the dogs. And yet um, they remain as sheep because the, the, the line is, have you heard the news? The dogs are dead. You better stay home and do as you're told. Yeah. Get um, out of the road if you want to grow old. Yeah. yeah.
and yeah. then the the dark twist on the 23rd psalm here is uh, uh, he converted yes. me to lamb chops and all of that part uh, it's yeah and and it, it's funny when you read it but i mean it's you know but which yeah. is why it's so great to see this album still being played live by Roger and seeing like i said this message that you know maybe had meaning in 1976 when it was written but yet it still has meaning you know the, mm-hmm. the more we change the more we stay the same um if we don't you know learn the lessons of history we're bound to repeat them and and all those things continually come true because the sheep don't rise up yeah you know or or what you know the pigs have their dog enforcers yeah. and have us uh, have us frightened to believe that you know, uh, I don't deserve a living wage because, um, you know, the company should be able to make all this money and you should be thankful you have a job, even though you need to work three jobs to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we still see car plants in the South that have a chance to unionize and make more money and provide a better living for themselves. Believe what they're being told that if you do that, you know, we're going to go away despite billions of dollars of investments in infrastructure and whatnot to actually build cars there. They're not going to walk away. (laughs) They just don't want to pay you more money. And yet you believe, you believe it. Yeah. You know, I live, I will live in poverty (laughs) for the sake of these billionaires so that they can continue to be billionaires. And And it's the sheep, man. Once they, even, even after they get rid of the dogs, they're still sheep. They still do what they're sheep. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. brilliant album from start to finish musically. Like I said, it, it doesn't always hit you right away. These, these songs, but there are cool little grooves. There are, mm-hmm. there are bluesy sections. There are. Pigs has sections. a great groove. Pigs has a great groove. I mean, you could, you could, you could dance, to, <laughs> you could yeah. dance to pigs. Pigs is catchy part, for a really long is. song. It's really yeah, catchy. It's, it really is. Yeah. It's got it's got great hook. It's probably the best hooks on the album mm-hmm. are in are in pigs yeah. three different ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a but, I have uh, a sore spot with pigs three different ones in that um, one of my great tragedies of my college career was when I was writing for the paper. We had to do, you know, you, you get you got your desk, and I was on the sports desk, and I'm doing a sports writing. But you have to do to get your grade, you have to get uh, stories from some of the other desks, and I got to cover. A, um, a gig from a band that did covers, mostly Pink Floyd covers. The band was called Harvest. And so I go to this club and I'm covering it and I'm interviewing the band and I'm, I'm talking about it and I'm reviewing this show. And it was a really good show. They also did like some grand funk and some other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about pigs, three different ones. And I write it the way it is pigs and then parentheses, three different ones. And a copy editor changed the name of the song to three different pigs. <laughs> thinking that that was correct English. Um, and I'm like, yeah. and I couldn't use it as a clip, like um, in mm-hmm. my portfolio. And I was so upset. Yeah. About that. yeah. Editors. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we just don't have editors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people post stuff online and nobody goes through it. And well, like, you know, word and Chrome will tell you if a, a word is misspelled or if you need a comma. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking, 
um, the third the third section of pigs where he talks about Mary Whitehouse. So a lot of people might not know who she was. She was mm-hmm. this morality crusader in the UK. Tipper in, Gore in before Tipper Gore. I was gonna. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Who could we equate her to? And I was thinking, you know, people like Phyllis Shafley or somebody like that. You know, but no, Tipper Gore is probably the closest American comp to who Mary Whitehouse was. Um, very, you know, you know, I like the way Roger described the t- quintessential British, you know, stiff upper lip, um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, this, this is, this is immoral. This should not be on TV. This is whatever. And, and Roger's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I remember before I had this on, um, and if it, as an official release, I had recorded it off a friend on a cassette. And I, I always thought White House was a referral to our government at the time. Well, it is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you go see the show, if you go see Roger now, that's, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Mary White, White House was a, was a real person um, in 1970s England who was telling people how they should live and what, mm. what your moral values should be. What was and, offensive uh, and what wasn't. What was, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was acceptable yeah. for public consumption. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the album closes with pigs on the wing part two, the, the two bookends. A ray of hope. Yeah. Ray not of part of the concept, but um, no. more to do with Roger's personal life. A nice contrast mm-hmm. between the, the dark mood of the three middle songs and the the two uh, bookends. You know that I care What happens to you And I know that you care For me too So I Don't feel alone On the way to the stone Now that I've found Somewhere safe To bury my bone Any fool knows A dog needs a home A shelter from pigs on the wing. Like you said, like you said, it, it opens and closes the album with a little bit of hope and that nice little acoustic guitar. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe I've actually played that at, at some, a couple open mics. <laughs> I, I play, I actually bookended my, my open mic set with, parts one and two of, uh, of pigs on it. It's easy to play. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, the, the G well, Roger major, played it. Very, so it's yeah, it's gotta if be Roger easy. can play it, I can play it. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of brings a ray of hope and optimism to, to this really dark, angry album. It's a good way to close. Yeah. Wow. I remember the first time I met you was at Cal Prague at the first Cal Prague festival. <laughs> And I remember after the show, we were hanging out at the hotel. We were singing monkey songs with Mike Keneally by the pool. Yeah. 
our buddy our buddy duke brought his and guitar duke, yep yeah. And you grabbed this guitar and you started you started playing dogs. I remember that. I could, I, yeah, but I, I didn't know how to play guitar then. But yeah, like I said, it's four <laughs> four chords in the truth. You know, I think D minor. I think it's in. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was fun. Good times. So good times indeed. You you do you rank animals as your your top Pink Floyd album? You said it was um, your go to when you when you want to hear some Floyd you know side what? one. If if I if I went strictly by number of plays, um, I tend to gravitate toward animals more than I would say. Animals, wish you were here, and 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 um, the division bell are probably you know, dark side of the moon. You have to say I'm going to listen to this whole thing. You can't listen to just parts of dark side of the moon. Yeah. Um, you have that, you have to listen to that. Um, wish you were here. You know, you could, you could get by on, you know, the first half of shine on you crazy diamond and, 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 um, and whatnot, but, but animals. Yeah. I, I mean, dogs is, that's like a whole meal. You know, you could listen to side one and be completely satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. I only need so, what, 18 and a half minutes to get through side one. 18 and a half minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. 45 years old, this album. It really it, is. Yeah. I can't believe that. Yeah. Came out when I was 15. Yeah. Um, so do the math. <laughs> Where I'm at now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You already told us your age, so you don't even have to yeah. do the math. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. So, yeah, I'm so glad we got to talk about this album. I've been uh, wanting to do a Pink Floyd show for a while, and it's, um, you know, I, I could talk about easily half a dozen Pink Floyd albums uh, with mm-hmm. very little preparation, including this one. Um, probably my favorite is Wish You Were Here because it's, it's not as dark. Um, yeah, it is, it's, it is a lonely, it's, and it's album. so good. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, Shine on Your Crazy Diamond is just so good. That's it's, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. That whole thing just being a a a reminder of the significant shadow that Sid Barrett cast over the band, mm-hmm. and his absence cast over the band, um, and his reappearance while they were recording. Yeah, it I just mean, that, it that just was, yeah. It gives that album for me a, a, a magic that none of the other albums have, as good as they are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I'm 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 pretty uh, pretty happy they got to talk to, about Pink Floyd, and, it, and I could not have talked coherently about Amagama or Saucer <laughs> Full of Secrets <laughs> or some of the others, but. Uh, uh, and some of them I own. It's just that I don't. They don't get a lot of spins because they are very much an acquired taste that mm-hmm. I, I did not acquire. <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff is actually better um, when it's done by other bands. Like Symboline uh, is a is a great example from the Moore album. Yeah. Um, RPWL does a cover of Symboline, and it's amazing. And they actually incorporate some of the jam from Adam Hart Mother into that too. So. Yes. Um, there's been some, um, really good covers I and mean, then we could do a whole nother show. We could do a whole <laughs> series on Pink Floyd covers, yeah. but, um, 
I yeah, just this got was a, fun. This was I just great. got a covers album. I did. I had Mary Fall on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I love her. She she did, sent um, me this Dark Side of the Moon cover. She, I was going to say she in did 5. Dark Side 1. of the Moon in its entirety, and it, it and it's really really good. Yeah, I, I was I was happy to see that you had her on because she was one of those people that I used to play on the show back in the day. We we would play some October Project yeah, stuff, I remember and they were that. more. They were more, um, more chamber pride. You know, I am the morning is a great band out of Russia these days, mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. kind of called Chamber Prague. Yeah, and and uh, October Project would find genre wise would probably fit in really well. But Mary's amazing. She's got a very unique voice. Yeah, um, very just haunting. tremendous, a tremendous singer. And yeah, she did um, Dark Side of the Moon a few years ago, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. We got done talking, um, and I, I stopped recording, and she she asked me if I had it, and I, I said, no. She goes, oh, you got to hear it in 5.1. I'll send it to you. <laughs> you she goes, go. e- give me your mailing address. I'll send it to you. And she, she had just gotten done doing pre-orders for her new album. She goes, I'm mm-hmm. not going to sign it, but I'm going to throw it in, a, in an envelope and get it to you. And literally, I think three days after I emailed her, I got it in the mail. I was like, wow, that that was fast. And she's constantly playing live too. I follow yeah. her on Facebook. I have for a long time yeah. and um, she's, she's out there all the time. <laughs> she's played in Chicago. Um, not that long ago, but yeah. she, yeah, she's great. If you like Pink yeah. Floyd, grab, uh, grab Mary Falls, uh, <laughs> dark side of the moon. It's called yes. From the dark side of the moon. And this surround sound mix uh, was mixed by Bob clear mountain. Who's oh really, okay. He's worked yeah, with he's the biggest big time brightest in the eighties. Yeah, he was with everybody. Yeah. He's done some really iconic albums. So um mm-hmm. so yep. uh, they did a great job on the surround on that. So I, I, I can't speak highly enough for that. But Joel, thank you so yeah. much for your time and yeah, helping for me. me. This was fun. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to unpack animals and forty five years of that. And I'm sure we'll 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 talk about Pink Floyd again soon. But it's been a lot of fun having you on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Mike. Good to see you. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. And I didn't say fuck once, so that was <laughs> I was conscious of that. I'm like, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put that on after after my outro. <laughs> yeah.